Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this episode, a critical vulnerability in Citrix ADCs and Citrix gateways that has been given a 9.8 out of 10 on the severity scale was disclosed this week. Microsoft announced pricing for Office 365's Copilot feature, and Windows 11 has been plagued with more performance issues caused by a recent update. For this and more, keep listening to this episode of the podcast, which of course is brought to you by my sponsors, and that includes Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage the lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Control up. Happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. The biggest story in this week, in my opinion, is that Citrix published an advisory, Article CTX561482, which highlights multiple vulnerabilities in Citrix's ADCs and Citrix Gateway, including one vulnerability, CVE-2023-3519, which has been rated a 9.8 out of 10 on the severity scale. The severity rating is so high because this is a remote code execution vulnerability, which does not require authentication to exploit. The appliances that are vulnerable to this are those configured as a gateway. So that could be VPN virtual server, ICA proxy, CVPN RDP proxy, or a AAA virtual server. Obviously, such an appliance is by its nature exposed publicly for people to access remotely. So these appliances can be relatively easily discovered by cyber gangs. Put that together with the fact this vulnerability can be exploited without requiring authentication and you have a recipe for disaster. CVE-2023-3467 and CVE-2023-3466 are also listed in the advisory and also affect ADCs and gateways. They are important to patch too, but have some mitigating factors as they require access to the appliance or some form of authentication. So not as critical or maybe easily exploited as CVE-2023-3519, but they do deserve your attention too. Regardless, these vulnerabilities are addressed in the same patch it seems. So depending on what you're using, this could be Netscaler ADC and Netscaler Gateway version 13.1-4913 and later releases for the patch, Netscaler ADC and Gateway 13.0-91.13 and later of version 13.0, uh, Netscaler ADC 13.1-FIPS 13.1-37.159 and later releases of the 13.1-FIPS. And I could go on, but I feel like people are going to get bored. Uh, so I'll just share a link to the advisory that contains all of the different products that are affected and what patch level you need to be at. But once again, another advisory where they note Netscaler ADC and Netscaler Gateway version 12.1 is end of life. So customers 
on those are recommended to upgrade their appliances to one of the supported versions that address the vulnerabilities. So if you're on version 12.1 right now, you are a sitting duck. You need to upgrade immediately. Microsoft published an advisory or really a security blog poster of their own this week on what's been labeled Storm-0558. And this is related to a discovery that a Chinese-based cyber gang or bad actor was forging Azure AD tokens using an acquired Microsoft account consumer signing key. Microsoft detailed how their investigation team was able to see that there was this possible nefarious traffic going on, saying they were able to see all actor access requests, which followed a pattern across both enterprise and consumer systems. And the use of an incorrect key to sign a scope of assertions was an obvious indicator to the team of actor activity as no Microsoft systems sign tokens in that way. Microsoft's investigations have not detected any other use of that particular pattern that was identifiable as you know, something going on in use by any other actors and Microsoft has taken steps to block related abuse. This has, however, raised questions in the security community about how this bad actor acquired the MSA signing key, as that has not been disclosed by Microsoft as of yet. So yeah, good that Microsoft has blocked this activity, but also worrying as to how they actually got that signing key. More bad news on the Windows 11 update front. The latest Moment 3 update, as it has been titled, is reporting to be causing performance slowdown, with severe cases going by reports made by TechRadar.com and problems with flaky internet connections too. Along with new symptoms, previously reported slowness issues using certain SSDs are reportedly persisting after this update is installed, despite claims that this update would fix that problem. In addition now, there are reports that restart and startup times are both far longer than before, with some sitting at the welcome screen for 17 seconds where it used to only take about 4.5 seconds, and shutdown times have been noticed to be longer too. There are also reports that games and applications are acting sluggish after the install of the update as well. There are also reports some PCs with the update won't get on the internet now too, and that's via Wi-Fi or Ethernet. It's reported that KB5028185 is the culprit, with users suggesting that uninstalling this patch has fixed the issues, which obviously is not ideal because if you uninstall the patch, you're losing the security patching that was provided by that update. In a couple of separate patching related stories, I read several people on the patching Google Mail group have been stating patches are failing to install on server 2012 R2 this month. And also a reminder that this month is one of the milestones for Microsoft security hardening roadmap that I covered on a previous episode of the podcast. And as such, some of the net logon and Kerbos security changes that scared the bejesus out of admins a few months ago are now also being enforced by default. But at least according to the mail groups that I'm following, it seems like it's been pretty plain sailing for customers on that front, at least as of yet. I guess we'll see because there are still a lot of organizations who stagger their patches by a month. So maybe the fallout could be delayed for that particular update. 
Outlook users also reported an issue when you print a task or contact that is longer than a page in Outlook desktop with users receiving an error, quote, there is a problem with the selected printer. You might need to reinstall this printer, try again, or use a different printer, end quote. The Outlook team released a fix from the service that is now at 100% of production as of July 12th, so a few days ago at this point. There is no client update required, and if you still see the issue, restart Outlook to pick up the change. If you reverted Office to work around the issue, you can now proceed to install the latest updates again. Another Outlook issue. I've reported a lot of them recently. Eagle-eyed Ben Whitmore on Twitter shared a recent update from Apple that states on July 27th, so... <laughs> just over a week, I guess. Apple will post an updated version of the volume content terms to Apple Business Manager. And once posted, your organization will not be able to enroll devices or deploy new apps until an administrator signs into Apple Business Manager and accepts the agreement. They say with this update, an administrator will be able to accept the volume content terms on behalf of the entire organization. And content managers and administrators will no longer be prompted to accept the volume content terms in their individual capacities after an admin accepts the terms on behalf of the entire organization. Additionally, the terms include clarifying language with respect to redeeming unused volume content balances. So a little bit crazy, but heads up, if you do not accept the new terms that are coming on July 27th, you will no longer be able to enroll devices. Private Link for Azure Virtual Desktop is now generally available, and Microsoft states that this feature allows users to establish secure connections to remote resources by using private endpoints. And with Private Link, the traffic between your virtual network and the Azure Virtual Desktop service is routed through the highly secure Microsoft Backbone network. This eliminates the need to expose your service to the public internet, thereby enhancing the overall security of your infrastructure. And by keeping the traffic within this protected network, PrivateLink adds an extra layer of security for your Azure Virtual Desktop environment. So if you are an AVD customer and you're interested in being as secure as possible while using the service, this may be a feature that you're interested in. On the Azure Virtual Desktop front, Microsoft also announced a public preview of a personal desktop autoscale feature, which is Azure Virtual Desktop's native scaling solution that automatically starts session host virtual machines according to a schedule or using start VM on connect and then deallocate session host virtual machines based on the user session state like log off or disconnect. And with personal desktop autoscale, you could save costs by shutting down idle session hosts while ensuring session hosts can be started by the users as they need them. The public preview is available in all regions where Azure Virtual Desktop host pool objects are, including Australia East, Canada Central, Canada East, Central US, East US, East US 2, Japan East, North Central US, North Europe, South Central US, UK South, UK West, West Central US, West Europe, West US, West US 2, and West US 3. You can use the Azure portal to enable and manage personal desktop autoscale during the public preview. 
And to get started, just simply create a personal scaling plan, define whether to enable or disable Start VM on Connect, and what action to perform after a user session has been disconnected, logged off for a configurable period of time across four phases in a day and assign personal scaling plans to one or more personal host pools. Microsoft have announced general availability for hot patching of Windows Server VMs with desktop experience in Azure. Previously, only VMs built in Azure with Server Core could use this feature, but now all versions of Windows Server 2022 Data Center Azure Edition on Azure and Azure Stack HCI can enable hot patching. And the key benefits of this are fewer reboots, which means higher availability resulting in less workload disruptions, faster deployment of updates because hot patch updates only contain security fixes. So they are about 10 times smaller. They install faster, take effect without reboot and minimal OS changes helps you manage change control. Also, Azure Update Manager provides simple update patch orchestration management. Hot patching is limited to security fixes released for Windows operating systems, excluding .NET Framework, and non-security fixes and other third-party updates are not part of the hot patch program. The existing Windows Server 2022 Data Center Azure Edition images with the desktop experience will not support hot patching, so to benefit from the hot patching feature, you must deploy the new OS images. So there may be an initial bit of pain to get there because you have to deploy new OS images to get the hot patch feature. And it's not going to include all updates each month as part of the process, but it is going to include those all important security patches. So it seems like it would be worth it. It just, in my opinion, at least. A public preview was announced for a new feature for Windows 365 also, which is their admin alerts. And they say with the Windows 365 IT admin alerts, an email is delivered whenever a cloud PC enters the grace period state. This provides admins with greater awareness of their environment so they can take appropriate actions and act as a preventative measure against unintended cloud PC deprovisioning. So if you're not familiar with the grace period, if you were to perhaps unassign a user from a cloud PC, it enters a grace period before it becomes deprovisioned. So in this instance, admins would get an alert uh, when a cloud PC goes into that grace period so that they know, you know, if that's not intentional, hey, heads up, this has gone into its grace period. You may want to address this before the machine gets deprovisioned. They say with the feature, admins can establish and customize system-based alerts for cloud PCs in the grace period based on their preferences. IT admins can define alert rules by selecting from the available options, setting thresholds, specifying frequency, and choosing notification channels for receiving their alerts. IT admins are also able to assess their environment and take informed decisions to either reprovision or end the grace period for specific cloud PCs as needed. Enabling the functionality to generate alerts when a cloud PC enters the grace period is a critical precautionary measure according to Microsoft. So yeah, I mean, this is a good start. I would love further just general alerts that are available as options within cloud PCs for like general provisioning and changes to the cloud PCs, which I know there's some community members out there who have been dabbling in that, but it would be good to have it native in the product. 
Microsoft's Inspire event was held this week. It is usually not a big event for product enhancement announcements, but it appears this year with such a huge focus on AI, several announcements were made around some of the artificial intelligence integrations within products with Copilot, such as Microsoft Teams. And they say that Copilot in Teams phone would be able to get used to quickly generate call summaries, capture action items, and let users ask questions about the conversation which Copilot can answer. By automating tasks that could be distracting, Copilot helps users stay focused and engaged during a call. Copilot in Teams phone will work for both VOIP and PSTN calls and is now available to customers participating in the Microsoft 365 Copilot Early Access program. They said with Copilot in Teams chat, you can quickly synthesize key information from your chat threads, allowing you to ask specific questions to help get caught up on a conversation so far, organize key discussion points, and summarize information relevant to you. There are also some other additional general Teams features announced, such as call sharing, so a team can share a common contact, and each have access to take calls on behalf of that contact. There will also be a similar shared channels feature for external collaboration requests and more. Microsoft also further highlighted some of the capabilities for the Office suite with Copilot, which I've previously shared on the podcast. And that includes the AI assistant helping you with creating Word documents, PowerPoint slide decks, and essentially becoming a virtual assistant within the suite. I believe this was the first time, however, that pricing for Copilot for Office 365 was discussed, and it is quite the spicy meatball in my opinion, with the price to be set at $30 per user per month extra to get the service. So this is an addition to what you're paying per month for the Office 365 subscription as it is. Like, whoa, (laughs) Uh, that is uh, very expensive and... uh, I don't think I'd even pay for that for personal use. I can't imagine enterprises paying for it at least right away when the product is potentially very immature. Ben Whitmore posted a question on Twitter asking others if they'd noticed the same behavior as he has with the Intune management extension. He said that the extension was updated to version 1.68.105 and introduced a new inventory collection method. And he's noticed discovered apps data being wiped on multiple devices and tenants after a full inventory. Some people replied to his tweet, confirming that they also encountered the issue. So if you're using Intune, heads up, this could potentially happen to you, it seems. In addition, at the end of last week, Intune suffered an outage where some customers reported that they could no longer view their devices. It appears Microsoft quickly deployed a hotfix and the issue was resolved in the same day. So a little bit of a rough week for Intune. In an update to the Microsoft proposed acquisition of Activision, it was reported this week that Microsoft and Activision have both agreed to extend the deadline for the acquisition to October 18th of this year, stating that they're confident that the deal can be completed. Obviously, as I've reported on the podcast in the previous weeks, the deal has been put on ice because there's been a lot of back and forth with regulators. And while the FTC in the U.S. did approve it recently, the approval has been appealed. So it is currently on hold once more in the U.S. And the CMA, the regular in the United Kingdom, also rejected it. 
So again, not really enterprise related, but Microsoft being such a large player in our industry, I think it's relevant because it may be a forecast of things to come uh, when Microsoft tries to acquire companies in certain spaces. Bleepingcomputer.com has reported a very interesting article this week about a 28-year-old IT worker who has been sentenced to over three years in prison for trying to blackmail his employer during a ransomware attack. The employee impersonated the ransomware gang that was extorting the company. He tried to redirect the ransomware payments by switching the cybercriminal's cryptocurrency wallet to one under his control. While his employer was under attack, the worker launched that second attack unbeknownst to his employer and the authorities. It's reported he accessed a board member's private emails over 300 times as well as altering the original blackmail email and changing the payment address provided by the original attackers. He also created an email address very similar to the one used by the attackers and used it to put further pressure on his employer to ensure that the ransomware gang's demands would be met and the ransom would get paid. However, the company did not comply with the attacker's demands and internal investigations during the period exposed the employee's unauthorized access to confidential emails while using the internet connection at his home. The employee at first denied involvement, but later admitted guilt. So kind of interesting to see that twist in the tail. Not only that uh, someone inside the house was making the call, essentially, and trying to divert the uh, ransomware payment toward him, possibly being in a respected position within the organization in the IT team, pressuring uh, decision makers to make the payment, which would then be made to him unbeknownst to them. And also using some phishing practices by creating an email address that's similar but not exactly the same as the one that was being used by the actual ransomware gang. So very interesting article, I thought. Finally, for this week, Google have cracked the code for true enterprise security. Ars Technica reported this week that Google is starting a new pilot program where some employees will be restricted to internet-free desktop PCs while they work. The report says Google's new pilot program will disable internet access on the select desktops with the exception of internal web-based tools and Google-owned websites like Google Drive and Gmail. This was originally mandatory for 2,500 employees, but they decided to allow employees to opt out of this program. The company also wants some employees to work without root access, which <laughs> that one obviously makes sense. I mean, that's just a typical enterprise practice, right, to, to limit the uh, users in the organization who have that type of elevated access. That makes sense. Now, removing the internet obviously did not go down very well as they've made it an opt-out process going forward. But it does make a lot of sense. You eliminate a lot of the threats, although by allowing them to still have Google Drive and Gmail, you're still allowing one of the biggest channels for cyber gang attacks. So closing the door partially maybe by removing the internet access. It'd be interesting to hear how well it goes for them. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. So I'm not sure if this one's going to be valid by the time you listen to this episode of the podcast, but once again, Shodan have one of their amazing sales. You can get a lifetime membership for just five euros or five dollars. So if you have any interest in security, 
get Shodan. It is an incredible product, an incredible tool. You can search all kinds of fun things on the service and also just kind of make sure your own systems and security are locked up as well as they can be. The great team at GoEUC shared another recent study of analyzing image quality in Windows 365 cloud PCs using the HTML5 web client versus the remote desktop client. As always, when covering their analysis, I'm not going to dive into the actual details and what the findings were because I don't want to take away clicks and views from their article, but they do some terrific work. I suggest you check out this article if you're interested in uh, cloud PCs, but even if you're not, go to go-euc.com to check out all of the different performance analysis studies that they've done. It covers a whole lot of different technologies that are relevant to enterprise IT. And finally, Uger Kulk shared a tool for offboarding devices from Microsoft's Intune, Autopilot, and Azure AD services. The tool leverages Microsoft Graph APIs to authenticate, search, and remove the devices. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>